Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Good morning, Chapel family. I encourage you to take your Bibles. It's always good when we open the Word and when you can follow along. And this morning we're going to be in... The book of Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 31. I've noticed, probably you have as well, that as I'm talking to people, whether it's uh, at the store or the quick trip or just out in the community, I talk to folks and I hear an awful lot from people saying, you know, this world is a mess. Our country is in a mess. Do you hear things like that? I hear that a lot. There's all kinds of disagreement and opinions about why we're in the messes that we're in and who's to blame and how do we go about fixing the messes that we're in. But it seems to me there's a lot of agreement that we're in a mess. This past Thursday was the National Day of Prayer. I imagine that many of you participated along with the thousands and thousands across our nation this last Thursday in praying for our country. Praying that God would send revival personally in our churches, revival in our nation. I believe the only answer to the mess that we are in as a people is found in Jesus Christ. He is the answer. And how we need revival. May God grant that prayer. The question may arise, how will we know when revival comes? How will we know if revival comes? If you can remember all the way back to February, for some of us it's kind of hard to think back so far. If you remember back in February, it was there was quite a bit of talk in the news uh, about a revival going on at Ashbury College in Kentucky. And that raised questions among a number of people. Is this truly a revival? And is it the beginning of a national movement? And what is revival anyway? The word revival, of course, comes from the word to revive. It means to restore to life. It is literally to take something that is virtually dead and to make it alive again. Sometimes we take the word, though, we use it metaphorically. We'll talk about reviving a politician's political future he looks like he's on the ropes, he's going down, and, and uh, he gets revived. He, he revives his political aspirations. We'll sometimes use that talking about a, a musician reviving their failing career. We even sometimes talk about it in terms of reviving various fashion trends or cultural trends like bell-bottoms, which can stay dead as far as most of us are concerned. But um, if... Someone appears dead, 
And we begin giving CPR to revive them, hopefully. How do we know when revival comes? How do we know when they've been revived? Well, you're checking for signs of life. What are the signs of life we look for in physical life? Well, we look for, are they breathing? Is there a pulse? Are they hungry for pizza? Whatever. What are the signs of spiritual life? What are the true signs of a spiritual revival? In our study over the next month or so, we're going to go back in history into another time when things were rotten. Another time when things were in a mess. We're going to go back to about 715 B.C., 715 years before Christ. Things were in a mess. A few years before that, in 722, most of you remember the history. The nation of Israel had split into two after the time of Solomon, north and south, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And in the year 722 B.C., the northern kingdom was judged by God because of their sin. They were destroyed by the kingdom of Assyria and taken away, deported into other lands. Since that time, God has been repeatedly warning the southern kingdom that they are headed rapidly towards a similar fate because they, like the north, have been sliding in a downward spiral of sin and spiritual darkness rejecting God, worshiping idols, and their, that will eventually end in their destruction and captivity being taken away to Babylon. That happens in 586 B.C. In the 150 years between the northern kingdom's demise and the southern kingdom being taken to captivity, these are times when things are for the most part in a mess. It's a very dark time in Israel's history, but the darkness of those days is pierced by two bright spots. Two godly young men who step onto the scene. In 715, it is King Hezekiah. And about 60 years after him, a young boy ascends the throne named Josiah. And those men, and will be the focus in our study over the next number of weeks. Today we're here in 2 Chronicles 31, looking at King Hezekiah as he takes the throne. And we encounter one of the greatest revivals, one of the most magnificent revivals, perhaps of all time, certainly in Israel's history. But before we jump into chapter 31, I need to go back to chapter 29 when Hezekiah assumes the throne. Actually, we have to go back even a little farther than that because King Hezekiah's father was a man named Ahaz. And King Ahaz was one of the most wicked kings to ever rule in Judah. He corrupted and profaned the worship of God in the temple of God. 
He had been on a visit up to Damascus, Syria, and saw some things they were doing in their pagan worship up there. And he said, this would be pretty cool back home. And he introduces his own ideas and practices into the worship there in the temple. And then shortly after that, he begins to encourage and introduce idol worship in the nation of Judah. And so as the scripture tells us that he had placed idols literally on every street corner in the city of Jerusalem. And then out into all throughout the countryside in every, in every city and in every place where they could put an altar or, or an idol, he put them there. If all that wasn't enough, as he continued to progress in his reign, there was a day where he said, you know what? Let's shut the temple down. We're not worshiping God anymore. Bar the doors to the temple. That was Ahaz. King Hezekiah growing up, seeing what his father was doing, what's going on in the land. His heart was grieved because he had a heart for God. He had somewhere along the line befriended and come to know the prophet Isaiah. And day one, the day that Hezekiah assumes the throne and takes the throne, at the age of 25, his first order of business, chapter 29, that brings us up to chapter 29, he he calls together the priests and the Levites, those who were the spiritual leaders in Israel. But for years, ever since his father had closed up the temple, these folks had been basically out of a job. They'd gone off and become carpenters or plumbers or whatever they needed to to pay the bills. And Hezekiah, first order of business as he becomes king, is he brings them in and he says, guys, things are going to change. We are under judgment as a people and we are about to face what the northern kingdom has faced. We are under judgment from God because of our sin. But things are going to be different because... I'm going to follow God. And men, first thing we're going to do is going to reopen the temple. I want you to get busy and let's get the temple open. And get busy they did. It was a monumental task to clean out all the stuff that he had profaned the temple with and all the rubble and all the junk and to rehab the facility and to cleanse the facility, to sanitize it, to consecrate it. But they, I don't know how they did it, they recruited a massive force of people, and in 16 days, it was ready. And on the 16th day of the first month of Hezekiah's first year as king, the temple was open for business. That brings us to the end of chapter 29. Sacrifices were offered, worship of God was reinstated in Jerusalem, and there was a great shout of joy among all of those who are godly. Chapter 30, Hezekiah says, you know what? We need to be celebrating the Passover. God had mandated that we were to carry out certain feasts and celebrations through the year, and in the first month of the year, on the 14th day, they should have been celebrating Passover. Well, the temple wasn't even ready yet. There wasn't time to get all the priests needed ready. There wasn't time to get the people ready. Back in the Old Testament law, there was a stipulation that if there were 
extenuating circumstances, a family, or in this case the nation, could celebrate Passover one month later, on the 14th day of the second month. And so he issued a decree, we're going to celebrate the Passover. Sent out invitations throughout all the land, come to Jerusalem and let's celebrate the Passover together. Remembering God's deliverance of our nation from Egypt. Come and gather. But not only did he send word to the people all throughout the land of Judah, but he records that they sent messengers up into the the north country, to the, the land of Israel. Most of the people had been deported from the land by the Assyrians, but there was still a remnant there. There were still folks there. And he says, come down and join us. I know you guys haven't celebrated Passover for centuries. <laughs> but come join us. Let's obey God. It says that some of the messengers, when they got to the people there, that it says the people there laughed them to scorn. Ah! Oh, worship God! Ah! But others said, go worship Yahweh God. They humbled themselves and says they came from Ephraim, Manasseh, and from some other places there in the northern kingdom. People came from all over. Massive numbers of people descended upon Jerusalem. And they began to celebrate the Passover celebration. What a magnificent time it was. It says when the people gathered to Jerusalem, it says they began to just to, to go through the city and they began to take down the idols and take out the altars that had been to these other gods and the people began to carry them to the, the dumping grounds, to the Kidron Valley, and they deposed and dumped all these things there. They cleansed the city of idols and the area right around Jerusalem. And now they began to celebrate Passover And the Spirit of God moved and worked among the people. And they heard the Word of God preached and they worshipped and they they loved the time and, and everybody just was caught up in this marvelous time before God and hearing the Word of God. And it uh, suddenly they realized the week was over. It had gone too quickly. And they said, can we keep going? And they said, yes, let's do another week. For two weeks they celebrated Passover. There was great joy in Jerusalem, it said, because nothing like this had happened since the days of Solomon. God was pleased. The people were ecstatic. And they rejoiced. If the story ended there, we might question whether this was truly a great revival or whether this was simply a great religious, a great spiritual experience. Many of us, maybe most of us in this room, have had some times in our life of tremendous spiritual experience. And those can be wonderful, wonderful times. But they are not the same thing as a revival. Spiritual experiences make us feel good for a while. But revival brings about a changed, a new life, a different life. Revival isn't just an experience that we we have along the way of our, our journey. We had a revival here and a revival there and a revival there. Revival isn't that kind of a spiritual experience on our timeline of, of Christian walk, Christian living. Revival is a time where we are transformed. 
So we want to look here in chapter 31 as we look at this revival that's going on in Israel. And what we want to see is, can we observe here some signs of life, signs of spiritual life, indicators that real revival has happened, that this isn't just a spiritual experience that you check off, yeah, been there, done that. Is there lasting change that happens with these people? Chapter 31, verse 1. Now when all this was finished, the Passover celebration is done, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke into pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. Revival doesn't just happen and it's over and we go back to life as usual. Revival leads to cleansing. Clearing out the idols here. As these folks descended upon Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, it was probably a very easy thing to get caught up in the excitement and the movement of the crowd. As they began to tear down the idols and get rid of the altars in Jerusalem, it was easy for these folks who came from, from cities all over Judah and from places up in, in the north in Israel, and they'd come here and they'd go, Oh yeah, let's get rid of the idols here. For all of us who've had some of those mountaintop experiences in those times where we go to camp or we go to a, a big meeting somewhere or we even in church, there's a time where there's a powerful spiritual experience. We say, when I go back home, things are going to be different. But you go back home and what you discover is when you get back to real life is that you go back to life exactly as it was. But that wasn't the case here. When they went back home, it says they went throughout all of Judah and they, they cleared out all the idols and all the altars in all the places there in, in Judah. And then they went up north into the, the land of Israel to the folks that had come back from there. And they went with them. They tore down all the altars up there to idols and, and cleansed all the idolatry from there. And they were making a statement that Things are going to be different now. We are only going to follow God, not the gods of the people around us. We're not going to go back home and live like the people around us who don't know God. We're going to live as God's people. We're going to change our lifestyle. The big draw for idolatry in those days is the same things that is the big draw for people today when they go away from God. It's sex, drugs, rock and roll. That was idolatry. It was sexual immorality. It was drunkenness and carousing and big parties. And they said, you know what? We're getting rid of the old lifestyle, of the lifestyle of people who don't know God. We're going to follow God. That's what it meant when they, when they say they're going back and taking down all the idols. Not only did they take down the idols, they destroyed the high places. The high places were places that were often used, just scattered again throughout the, the land, and they were places typically on high places, like hills and mountaintops. But they would go there to worship idols, but sometimes people would go there to worship God. 
the real God, the true God. But they would do that even though God himself had said, don't do that. Several places we can go back in the Old Testament law, and I won't read through it, but here's one, Deuteronomy chapter 12, where God says through Moses that you need to destroy all the high places and don't worship me there. When you go to worship me, you go to the place that, that will be designated, the place where I will put my name. That's where you go to worship, at the tabernacle and at the temple. That's where you go to worship. But people would go and go to the high place. And you know, it's inconvenient to go down to, down to Jerusalem. It's inconvenient to go to the temple. It's inconvenient, but we can worship God here. We can worship the true God. We're just going to do it in our way. And you see, we do that today. We do that today when we play the church game. We play the game of religion where we say, well, give a nod to God. We'll pretend that, that, you know, that I really care. I'll go, I'll sing the songs, I'll listen to the dry, boring sermon, and I'll throw a little money in the plate, and I'll, God will be pleased for me for another week. We play the game. We, we want the blessing of God, but we want to come to God on our terms and in our own way. That was what the high places represented. And these people said no. Revival brings the desire to live God's way, not our way. What it's saying is if there is sin in our life which we are comfortable with, we're aware that there's sin in our life and we're just comfortable living with it, We're comfortable with our lying. We're comfortable with our cheating. We're comfortable with our hatred. We're comfortable with our slander. We're comfortable with our gossip. We're comfortable with our anger. We're comfortable with our hating. We're comfortable with living immorally. If we do that and say, I'm following God, we're deceiving ourselves. It's a sign not of spiritual life, but of spiritual darkness. One of the signs of spiritual life is a commitment to cleansing our hearts and cleansing our lives of the idols, tearing down the idols of sin in our life. That's what these folks did when they left that great worship experience. They went back and said, let's get rid of the stuff that God says is wrong. Let's go God's way. Revival leads to cleansing. Verse 2, the second sign. Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and of the Levites, divisions by division, each according to his service, the, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to minister in the gates of the camp and of the Lord and to give thanks and praise. The contribution of the king from his own possessions was for the burnt offerings, the burnt offerings of the morning and the evening, and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and the appointed feasts as it's written in the law of God. And he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give to the portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might give themselves to the law of God. Revival brings a hunger. And following this, this great time of the Passover, there was now in the people a hunger for things different that they had hungered for before. The temple had been closed and most of the people didn't even notice. But now there was a rapid movement to reinstitute worship and all the sacrifices and everything going on in the temple and to reestablish the function and the ministry of the priests among the people. 
You see, back when the people of Israel first settled in the land under Joshua, and by the direction of God, the land was divided among the people, the Jews. He was divided by, according to their tribes. You remember there were 12 tribes of Israel. Each tribe had a share of the land. Think of it like our country divided up as states. That country was divided up among the tribes. Each tribe had a share except one. One tribe didn't get their own little state. Which tribe was that? It's the tribe of Levi. And the priests were part of the tribe of Levi. And God said the Levites will not get a state here. Every other tribe will, but the Levites will get cities within each of these states. And the Levites are supposed to live in these cities. And the day is coming when we'll have a temple, we'll have a place, and and the Levites and the priests will go and take turns working there, serving in the temple. And whenever they're not serving there, they need to be back living in the cities and they're serving, ministering to the people and teaching the Word of God. They didn't do that very well through much of their history, but when once the temple was closed and all of, all of that was shut down under Ahaz, these priests and Levites were all thrown out of work. Matter of fact, the law had forbidden them to take other jobs. The Old Testament law said, your job is ministering to the people. Your job is teaching the Word of God to the people. Once they were out of work, they went and they got other jobs or doing other things. But now that people have come together, they've heard the Word of God, things are changing. And there's this desire for to have the ministry of the temple and the ministry of the priests and the Levites working again. And so as revival unfolds, we see changes in the desires of the people. There's a desire to have fellowship with God, to come to the temple and there to have sacrifices and there to worship and there to praise God, to draw near to Him. There was a desire with the people to be with the people of God, to come together, to not just have the, the temple services restored, but to have the, the festivals, it says, and the new moons and all of the, the feasts. The, the, the purpose of the feast was not just to worship God, but it was to gather together family, to gather together neighbors, and together to go and to worship God. There was a togetherness. And you see, when revival comes, there's a desire not only to be with God, but to be with the people of God in worship and in fellowship. And there was a desire for the Word of God. As he says, that they were, there was a concern that the priests might give themselves, he said there in verse, in verse 4, to the law of the Lord, to give themselves to the study and the teaching of God's Word. If you find yourself, brother, sister, friend here this morning, if you're not interested in pursuing fellowship with God, if you're not excited about praising God, if you're bored in worship, even when, maybe especially when it's not your style of worship, if you're not eager to go to the house of God, if you're not eager to come to church, if you don't desire the company of other believers, if you don't hunger to hear the word of God, you're missing signs of life. These are signs of spiritual life. If you're missing those, you need revival. There's a third change I see here, a third 
sign of life in this text. I find it in verses 5 through 6. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine and oil and honey and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah who brought in the tithe of cattle and sheep and the tithe of the dedicated things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God and they laid them in heaps. This giving, by the way, was started by Hezekiah who was just like, we got to get things rolling. And he just emptied his treasure. He said, here, we're, we're doing this. Let's get things moving. But in order for, for those things that they're hungering for now to take place, it requires resources. The priests and the Levites can't do their jobs unless they have the resources to do that. And they need some income so they don't have to be out working their plumbing job and their carpentry job. And the people began to realize this and they began to respond and they began to pour on the offerings. So it says there they ended up in these massive piles in the temple. The temple's beginning to get overrun with all the, the gifts that people are bringing. When we are spiritually revived, the Spirit of God transforms our priorities and our values so that we desire to see God's kingdom built rather than our kingdom built. These people were beginning to get concerned about how do we do what God wants us to do. It affects not only their desires for their priorities, but it affects how we handle our stuff, the value of our stuff. We become generous when there's spiritual life. We become generous with our resources, our money, our possession, our time. We want to use them all to serve God and serve others. That's why as I began this morning noting our generosity, it wasn't even my, my point this morning. I, just, I was listening to Brother Harley and I thought, oh yeah, every time we talk about change for change, I'm impressed with, wow, that was just the little stuff you guys give each month. And I'm impressed every year as I not long ago wrote our annual report and I see every year that over 25% of the money that comes into this church goes out the door in ministry somewhere else, in caring for people who have needs, in, in supporting missionaries around the world. And not only do you do those things, but you meet our needs here abundantly. And I say, this is a generous people. That's a sign of life. It's one of several here in this text. But brothers and sisters, these are the signs of life. Spiritually, cleansing, the desire to take out the sin that's in our life, get rid of it. A hunger to be with the people of God, to do the work of God, to know God, to be in fellowship with Him, to hear His Word and new priorities. It's no longer about what do I want in life, it's what does God want in my life. New priorities and new values with my stuff, with my time, with my energies, with my gifts. If we're lacking any of those, if we're lacking all of those, I would say you spiritually flatlined. You need CPR. You probably need a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never trusted him as your savior. If you say, you know, I struggle with some of those things. Well, maybe a need for some reviving 
Maybe you don't need full CPR. You just need a little, uh, you know, energy drink. (laughs) Something. What do we do? This world is a mess. It needs revival. If revival is going to come in our world, it needs to begin, as the Scripture says, in the household of God, with the people of God. Over a century ago, uh, Gypsy Smith was a fairly well-known evangelist, a British evangelist. One of the times he was over here in the United States, somebody asked him, Gypsy Smith, what's the secret to starting a revival? He said, it's this, go home, get a piece of chalk, draw a circle on the floor, stand inside the circle and pray and ask God to revive everything in that circle. That's where it starts. Let's pray. Father, the reality is, as I look at so much of Christendom in our land, I have to say we are pretty close to where Judah was in these days. It's easy for us to look at this world and we say it's a mess. And we look at our nation and we say it's a mess. We don't like to look in the mirror because we recognize it's a mess there. Our hearts don't burn with what what pleases your heart. We don't have your desires. We tolerate sin in our life. We chase our own values, our own priorities. So, Lord, we pray that you would bring revival. We do pray for revival in our nation. We pray for revival in your people, in the church. Father, we also pray for revival in our church. And we pray for revival in us. Draw us near to you. Father, set our hearts on fire. Don't let us be content to be lukewarm Christians. Father, in the course of such things, may you bring about great changes in us and in the world around us for our good and for the glory of our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.